Welcome into this week's episode of the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. My name is Kalen Jones, and I'm alongside SunDevilSource.com publisher Chris Cartman. Chris, how are you doing today? Labor Day weekend. I'm doing wonderful. Just watched some football practice, and we're going to talk a lot more about the team on this episode. Yeah, well, let's get into it. But in case you do need a refresher, um, the Sun Devils opened up their 2017 campaign with an interesting 37-31 win over New Mexico State. That's one way of putting it, Kalen. Interesting. It definitely was. Uh, ASU scored on each of its first two drives. Um, it looked like they were going to pull away before the Aggies' defense kind of settled in and took a. And the Sun Devils took a 14 to 13 lead in the halftime, but came out firing on all cylinders in the third. Really pulled away after scoring 16 straight points. They were up 30 to 13. But the Aggies did make it close, Chris, in the fourth quarter. They got a couple of scores to make it interesting towards the end. The final score ended up being 37-31, including a touchdown at, on the final play of regulation. So, Chris, let me ask you, what were your initial thoughts and takeaways from that game? Wow, there was a lot. And obviously, there's always going to be uh, so much that you have to process when you're watching the first game of a season, the first time. And and this year in particular, right, because you have new defensive coordinator, new offensive coordinator, you have Todd Graham in a new capacity this season. You have position coaches that are different. Um, so uh, almost overwhelming at times, just sort of uh, watching it from the press box. And, yeah. and that's why watching this game again and really sort of uh, processing and absorbing everything is going to be big. I've started to do that. Haven't quite finished that yet as we sit here recording today. Uh, it was very, very, very interesting, as you say, because ASU had dominant first and third quarters and then was dominated in the second and fourth quarters. Uh, one of the biggest things was just the defense, all 11 starters being on the field for 90 plus percent of the snaps out there uh, until the final minute when ASU finally put in some reserves. Um, that's not something I've probably ever seen before. And you had Manny Wilkins uh, have strong second, first and, and third quarters, and then sort of not as good in, in, in the other periods. Um, offensive line issues, right. uh, some, some positive signs from ASU's defense. So a lot to really unpack here as we kind of go through it. Yeah, it, it was definitely a different game. It, it kind of threw me off, I guess, that ASU wasn't able to really pull away during the middle of that second quarter. I thought that that was really that, turning point I guess where you see the good teams really separate themselves from you know lower yeah. level opponents where they're able to put their you know foot on the gas and really run away with I it. thought it was going to happen too and just watching it yeah, live yeah and it, it felt like you know the momentum was on their side the offense had been rolling and then all of a sudden you had a few um couple bad breaks whether it was you know uh, a couple of run plays that drew negative yardage and obviously the loss of Demar and Richard and then uh, not being able to really convert on third and long situations a costly penalty on another drive so it was a number of different factors but Overall, um, I mean, they, they got what they needed. They needed a W, and um, they're moving on to this week. It's going to be really interesting. But, um, Chris, one of the things that really stood out to me was the performance of Manny Wilkins, and you touched on it. Um, he started the game off 9 of 9, and that's I, I assume that's one of the best starts of his career. He ended up finishing with a career-high in completion percentage, went 22 of 27, 81% um, on the day. He hit seven total targets during the game, uh, threw for 300 yards, two touchdowns, no turnovers. Um, what did you kind of take away from his performance against New Mexico State's defense? Well, no, no jeopardy throws, right? Mm -hmm. I don't. There, not not only was there nothing uh, in the turnover column, no no interceptions, no lost fumbles, but there wasn't any balls that looked like they they could have been intercepted or really like, uh, wow, he shouldn't have made that throw sort of vibe that 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 happened. You mentioned the nine of nine to start the game. He also had uh, ten of ten in the third quarter mm -hmm. for the whole the whole period. Well, that's nineteen. Out of 19 completions, yeah. the rest of the game, uh, it was three out of you know seven, 
Yeah. Uh, so, so, so that shows you just the dichotomy between how well he was doing in those first and third quarters and how much ASU's offense was able to move the ball and be productive versus how it just had no ability to do anything in the second and fourth quarters, especially when you look at the fact that the, the, the run game just wasn't really present. Um, other than a couple of those jet sweeps that, that were ruled passes because they were, you know, balls that were being moved forward as right. opposed to right <laughs> actual, passes, actual yeah. handoffs. <laughs> right. Um, but he, he played well. I, I think after the game, I gave him like about a B minus grade, probably a little bit higher than that is what he deserves. Ultimately, he took what was given to him. He got mm-hmm. down when he needed to try to avoid hits. For the most part, he took a couple. The offensive line didn't really didn't do him any favors, as, as, as we know. He was pressured quite a bit exactly. too quickly. Uh, the Aggies had seven sacks. The, the, so the protections weren't that great. The, the, the run offense wasn't that great. So that put him in a difficult situation. You have to come away from this feeling pretty good if you're ASU about the way that he performed overall. Yeah, and let's talk about the offensive line because, you know, obviously going into this year, the coaches have been saying that they think that the offensive line is a unit that needs to take that next step in order for both the running game and the passing game to really take, you know, the offense, or I guess overall, to really be cohesive and really take the next step as a unit in the Pac-12 and be, you know, one of the top units within the conference. But uh, as you mentioned, seven sacks were allowed of uh, the offensive line, both on the outside. I thought Cole Cabral struggled a little bit in pass pro. Um, the interior line didn't look too good at times. There were plenty of A-gap blitzes, and Todd Graham mentioned it after the game. Uh, the Aggies were rolling out a bunch of different t- uh, stunts and twists that really had the offensive line sort of off balance, and un- especially particularly during that second quarter of play. Um, and again, the running game was non-existent overall. So, uh, it's going to be really interesting to see whether or not they can shore that up in time going into this matchup against San Diego State. Um, what I found odd was that um, you not only had the offensive line struggling as a, a, a unit as a whole, but just the fact that, you know, they they didn't really seem cohesive, like especially on the edges. Like we thought, Cole, or at least personally, I thought Cole Cabral would be, you know, a solidified starter the way that he had been talked about before as being, and, and just looking at his athletic profile, he looks like he could be someone who could, you know, be against, good against uh, edge rushers. He kind of really struggled against that on Thursday night. Well, not just Cole Cabral. I, I thought Sam Jones had instances where he had his back to the line of scrimmage chasing somebody down that, that got penetration. We saw the same thing on the right side. Quinn Bailey struggled at times mm-hmm. uh, with speed and even counters uh, to the inside. Uh, it, it, for as, as much as they talked about how much better they thought they were going to be as an offensive line, right. The gap between that and what was actually demonstrated in this game was was pretty substantial, and and even in our observation, there was uh, looked like better play, better better skill development. It looked like uh, in in a lot of the one on ones that we saw, especially at Tonazona, they handled the speed of Karan Crump and other players pretty effectively. Uh, the inside run is something they talked about being better at pretty much mm-hmm. the whole camp and setting a new tone with Rob Sale as their position coach and just the mindset of firing off the ball and all that stuff. Well, maybe that look that sounds a little bit more rhetorical after a game in which uh, Kalen Balash had 18 carries for just 79 yards, a, a very mediocre 4.4 yards per carry. A lot of that wasn't really between the tackles. Uh, and, then, and then the other backs between them really didn't do anything. Demario Richard gets hurt in the game, right, right knee, um, you know, probably won't be out for, for multiple weeks, but uh, he had negative four rushing yards. You had, you know, Benjamin have four carries for just three yards. You had Trelon Smith, one carry for four yards in garbage time. That's not the type of 
rushing attack that's going to give you a lot of confidence moving from week one to week two and this team is going to need to have that sort of proverbial jump that a lot of people talk about as being when your when your uh, team has a chance to really improve the most in that first and second week watching the film digesting what you saw and then figuring out how do you move forward from there because absent that Kalen Mm -hmm. uh, the offense isn't going to be as good as is capable with the other skill players that they have and they need that they they need that because the, the, they, they're not going to be able to count on their defense to just shut teams out. That's, That's just true. not going to happen. Yeah, and it, you mentioned it too. Like during Camp T, uh, the edge looked really good, like be, being able to block on the edge, and that was something they struggled with against New Mexico yeah. State. But personally, like at Camp T, uh, especially during the team reps, I thought they struggled with interior pass rush, and that was something that yes. you know we saw against New Mexico State when they mentioned being able to twist and stunt. That was something that the offensive line wasn't able to handle. You mentioned Sam Jones uh, not playing as well as – perhaps we we thought he would play so yeah, none of them really it's just a lot of uh lack of awareness in, in assignments manny wilkins said after the game that he took some of the blame for not setting the right protections mm-hmm. but really that's uh that that's mostly offensive line the other thing that we saw kalen is there wasn't very good blocking from their h-back position or whatever you want that's to call it. that mm-hmm. nick ralston jj wilson when those guys were uh, responsible for some protection component they missed on multiple occasions i counted like four or five so if you have that um, and you have offensive line play that, that's sort of substandard mm-hmm. uh, and then Manny Wilkins is, has some natural tendencies to want to evade the pocket or, or, or right. move into pressure when he shouldn't have the totality of that is something that, that is a little bit alarming for ASU moving forward well let's talk about one moment of the game where they did seem to have great protection that was on John Humphrey's 60 yard touchdown grab uh, Manny Wilkins actually set a career high for both of his longest passes, he drew a 50-yard bomb to Jalen Harvey in the first quarter, and then again to Jalen, excuse me, uh, John Humphrey during the third quarter when ASU really pulled away, he uh, drew a 60-yard bomb. Uh, Humphrey finished the game with seven receptions on eight targets, uh, 123 yards, and a touchdown. Uh, what did you think of his debut and really breaking on the spotlight for the Sun Devils? Well, I can't really say that I was surprised that he had a big game because mm-hmm. – as you have been a fan of his throughout the year in terms mm-hmm. of his capability, right. so have I as for, in terms of what he's, what his promise is, right? Um, it, it, we really like what John Humphrey is and can be in this offense. And um, it was weird almost to see him listed in the second team on the depth chart behind uh, uh, Ryan Newsom, especially in light of that depth chart being released the week of the game and Ryan Newsom not even going to play in the game based upon what we had observed in practice that week because he had a thigh muscle injury that he's starting to come back and still still recovering even this week, right? Uh, but, but even absent that, John Humphrey is just a guy who's going to be one of their more dynamic weapons and not really surprised to see him be able to get behind the defense. That 60-yard touchdown from uh, uh, Manny Wilkins was right on the money, really. It was. Uh, you know, maybe slightly underthrown, but then again, it went 65 yards in the air, in which the is air, about yeah. as much as you could really uh, expect from Wilkins. And he boat raced two guys on that play. It wasn't two. even yeah. it wasn't even a breakdown. The safety was rolled over. Yeah, he just ran by him. Ran by the Straight safety by and the corner who had no real chance, right? It was just a little skinny post. Uh, so that that was impressive, and especially when you when you put him as a bookend to Nikhil Harry on the other side, it gives mm-hmm. you uh, you know some talent that you mentioned. Of course, the Jalen Harvey, what he gives you, that was a really nice play. We mm-hmm. know that he's a good blocker and a stable uh, kind of do everything type of a player. Kyle Williams had a debut in which uh, he got a few touches and was able to show what he's capable of. So that unit overall is definitely uh, relatively capable compared to what we've seen in the past. 
uh, at ASU and and but but to fully tap into that you have to have everyone else doing their job. Exactly. And again, touching on Humphrey again, in the first half, he only had two receptions for 19 yards, ended up finishing with seven receptions for 123. So it just shows you the type of explosiveness that, you know, or big playability that he poses for the offense moving forward. But Chris, let's transition over to the defense. And there was something that was really, really interesting or odd or different, I guess, however you want to describe it. But the, the Sun Devils played 11 starters. They played in their base defense throughout most of the night and ended up playing, didn't really rotate anybody until the third or fourth quarter. Never seen anything like this. Uh, in all my years covering ASU, really even just following the program at all, to play all 11 starters well into the fourth quarter uh, other than a couple times when they had to take guys out. Remember right, Cron, 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 Crump gets, he goes down, mm-hmm. he comes off the field for a play. Uh, Tayshawn Smallwood, had a, who had a nice game, uh, made a play and then had to come out because his helmet popped off on the play. Uh, Rennell Wren went in there for, for a rep. But really, other than that, until garbage time, like the last series, they had their starters on the, they had their starters the whole time yeah. on, on the field. And um, it's one thing... As I see it, it's one thing to not play nickel, right? To not take, right. you know, uh, a defensive lineman off, kick kick somebody inside, take a linebacker off, put an extra defensive back on the field. Okay, that's that's one thing, uh, and you can maybe sell me on on that being reasonable. Mm-hmm. But to me, it's totally unreasonable to not have played your backup defensive lineman more reps because you have like how is Renell Wren or George Lee or Jordan Hoyt not going to be capable of playing against New Mexico State if they're not capable of playing against New Mexico State then it's almost pointless anyways because you're not going to have any chance your team is going to be totally worn down by the second half of the season from playing 85 90 snaps Todd Graham said after the game look our, our our overall number of snaps was far too high but the odds of, of them playing a lot fewer snaps against much better teams exactly. is low unless they're giving up more big play touchdowns that, that take them off the field. So um, I, the strategy didn't really make a lot of sense to me. And then also uh, the um, just how much that DJ Calhoun and Christian Sam were having to run around the field. Yes, you mentioned that during the game. Very, very um, um Problematic for ASU as it projects forward into the season. Mm-hmm. Not only just because of how much space they have to cover and how much running that they have to do, mm-hmm. but uh, those guys are going to be gassed. Exactly. I think that I think that on third downs, there's really no reason to have DJ Calhoun on the field when when he's already going to be you know not have really live legs for 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 the down. So I think they got to figure out something to do with their. Uh, some sort of a nickel substitutions, you know, maybe having uh, Chase Lucas and and Maurice Chandler back this game or at some point in the near future will will uh, enable that. But but that that you know, in my estimation, is one of the most ominous signs of the whole game was just the fact that they didn't feel confident in their in any backups to play those guys whatsoever against a team that should just be a totally inferior as New Mexico State. Yeah, and you would think that against an inferior opponent, as you just mentioned, you would be willing to try out those lesser players just so they get game experience and see what they can do against lesser opponents. How about in the second quarter when you're up 14 nothing? Yeah, why not? Throwing those guys out there for a series, giving your other guys a rest, seeing, mm-hmm. putting putting your the, your second team guys on film, letting them sort of figure out. I yeah. mean, it's just a lot of players say that's the best way that they learn to seeing themselves play. I think on everyone, the field. I think I think all players would probably feel that where most would at least probably feel that way. It was a head scratcher to me. 
and something that uh, is going to have to be closely followed as we mm-hmm. move forward. Yeah, and again, to that point, uh, obviously first-year defense coordinator Phil Bennett, um, his first time with ASU's defense. They ended up getting two interceptions on the day. First-year players Joey Bryant, Kobe Williams even got a pick six, a uh, cool moment during the game. But um, the pass even still ended up giving up 398 pass yards. Um, obviously, they were on the field for 88 plays compared to ASU 70, but is there sort of a concern there moving forward, Chris? I know it was against a lesser opponent in a pass-happy offense, but is there any like concern with, with the secondary? There, there's you know kind of good and bad takeaways if you're ASU mm-hmm. from this. I think the good takeaways, um, they had fewer uh, overall missed assignments and big play breakdowns. They, right. they made New Mexico State extend drives. 11-play drive, 13-play drive in the second quarter. Those ate up more time. They ended up scoring. They kept your defense on the field more because they had 33 snaps. Uh, but that's better than giving up big play touchdowns in which you know uh, uh, an inferior opponent's running all over the place on you. Yep. 398 yards, that's, that's too many to give up via the air, but it came on 57 pass attempts, which is a lot. Yeah. Um, so, so, so as an average, uh, not, not terribly bad. And especially when you, when you get those two takeaways, as you mentioned from Joey mm-hmm. Bryant, Kobe Williams, one of the things that stood out to me about those is both of them were in zone coverage on second down in which those guys were reading the quarterback playing and off and, and able to just kind of break on the football and take it away. It, it allowed them to tap into their athleticism a little bit better, a little bit easier, mm-hmm. uh, and in a way that we probably wouldn't have seen last year from ASU because right. they played so much man press coverage, uh, even on you know base downs that you're you're back to the football or you're you're chasing and trailing or you're trying to to make a play in that respect. So I think that was a positive sign for ASU. The negatives, of course, just the depth is a major problem. Yeah. They're they don't have great size and they don't have great tackling force. Kobe Williams going up against a six six receiver lost every 50-50 ball. And some of those were great catches, but that problem is going to persist into the Pac-12 play. People are going to target him repeatedly, and especially when you get into the red zone situations, he's going to have to show some more of a physical capability at being able to stop some of that. Um, And then the other thing that that I really noticed was a lot of the underneath throws to the, to the flats where uh, whether that's to running backs or tight ends or, or even receivers where linebackers were responsible for getting out into those spaces uh, that I think that's going to be a, something that they struggle with throughout the year yeah and, and there I guess if you're going to be hopeful I guess um, you look at it this way they didn't have Chase Lucas and Maurice Chandler I think mm-hmm. Lucas is considered a player who would be at least considered a rotational player with the first team unit um Maurice Chandler hasn't as seen as begun to like climb his way back into the coach's graces. So, yeah. I mean, you got two, not uh, one veteran player, so to speak, and then another who has high potential. So the secondary between those four players and whoever, the, whoever, whoever else is behind them on the depth chart. Um, I guess you have like four players instead of just the two that you saw against New Mexico state. If there's any hope, I, I guess, or a hopeful po- uh, yeah. takeaway from that. There's redundant options, and they have a chance out of those guys to find some combination of players that kind of works and, and helps stabilize you or maybe gives you a nickel option to, to play, yeah. out of, which, which which gives guys a breather. But there, this is a secondary that's going to have to improve almost on a week-by-week basis if it's going to reach its goals that it has for the season. And you mentioned it, Chris, stability. Um, one of the things that Todd Graham says is part of the pillars of his program is the walk-on program. Um, this past week, and you could check it on our updated uh, scholarship distributed 
distribution board on sundevilstores.com. Um, five, excuse me, five players have received scholarships from ASU, uh, all walk-ons. Tight end Frank Ogas, uh, wide receiver Ryan Jenkins, running back Goose Cosgrove, cornerback Joey Bryant, and linebacker Abe Thompson each received walk-on scholarships this week. Right, so um, you have three seniors, two juniors, the guys that that got the the scholarships and have a chance to really play and help the team at some level would be Ryan Jenkins as a receiver. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's been listed as a second team at the X position, but he hasn't practiced all all camp because he had an injury that was undisclosed. So we're not really sure about where he stands in that, but probably not going to see immediate playing time. Uh, and then, and then of course, Joey Bryan is a starting uh, defensive back for ASU corner. He was a track right. scholarship convert. What's important about those. Um, uh, and then Abe Thompson is the other guy. What's important about Abe Thompson and uh, who's playing second team double backer in, in practices and Joey Bryan is those might have to be counter scholarships. Uh, the rules stipulate that you can only enroll 25, new scholarship players uh, in any given year. Uh, if, if, if players have been around in your program already for two years as walk-ons, they don't count against the counter scholarships. So a guy like Frank Ogas, who's been at ASU for five years, Ryan Jenkins' third year, those guys aren't counter scholarships next year. The other ones are, so they're harder to give out, harder to get. But if you're a starter or you're on the two deep, the odds are you're probably going to get it anyways, even if it means that ASU could take fewer uh, recruits in the next class. And and we're going to go into a lot more depth on this and what it means projecting forward in 2018 on the premium podcast mm-hmm. later on in the week. Yeah. And again, you can check that out on our updated uh, ASU scholarship distribution chart over on sundevilsource.com. Uh, if you check over in the devil's sanctuary, uh, Chris, before we jump into next week, I'm going to tell you what the projected line is. Um, ASU against San Diego state state this week, ASU is only favored by one and a half points. Um, at Sundival Stadium this weekend. Uh, it's a kind of a clear signpost of what ASU is um, against, you know, the terms of external expectations. So what do you kind of take away or at least look forward to in a, a quick little preview of the game? Well, look, uh, we know that ASU was not going to be favored against the vast majority of its opponents this year. Uh, we know that Rocky Long has San Diego State's program in a pretty healthy state right now. Uh, 11 wins in each of its last two seasons. Of course, that's in a lesser league than the Pac-12. But I didn't anticipate a 1.5-point spread. I thought maybe it'd be something like a five-point advantage or something like that for ASU to open. Now, keep in mind, we know that the whole goal of setting a line in Vegas is to get equal money on both sides of the line. That's the whole goal. The line probably moves some. Probably not in San Diego State's favor. I'm guessing that it ends up three, four points, something like that for ASU. But uh, just given that ASU was a 25 or 26-point favorite against New Mexico State, wins by a touchdown, um, that's going to shrink the expectation a little bit more uh, that people have. And San Diego State has been a good team. ASU has struggled the last couple years quite substantially. Uh, and, and so it, it is, it's just a marker of what expectations are outside of the program for the Sun Devils this year. And until they demonstrate that they're capable of performing uh, 
much better throughout the entirety of a game. This is what they're going to be facing and up against. And people sort of almost laughed at the idea that ASU could lose to San Diego State when we talked about it as a possibility throughout the offseason. I said that they probably, in my mind, they probably would lose one of the games between San Diego State and Texas Tech. I thought it was probably like 50-50 to lose one of those games. It might be more than 50-50 to lose one of those games when you look at it now. So... Uh, not terribly surprised, but I did think that ASU would be favored by a few more points. Yeah, I agree. I, I thought that they would be a few more points favored. But when you look at San Diego State as a program, as you mentioned, like over the past couple of years, Rocky Lawn has them in a good spot. Last year, watching them compete against Houston last year, obviously they had you know better players when you talk about Donnell Pumphrey and the type of legacy that he left in terms of NCAA rushing yards, uh, DeMonte Casey, the type of athleticism he offered at cornerback. They had some players last year. So yeah. going into this year, it will be a significantly different matchup because the personnel is different but uh, I still thought that ASU would be favored by a little bit more going into this game yeah but I mean they're they're Rocky Long really has that team doing well and um, again they're probably I I don't I I'm not gonna I don't think I'm gonna pick San Diego State to win but it's not as though my initial impression of this game going in is that ASU is going to have a cakewalk in any sense of that word. Yeah, uh, It's certainly a much better opponent than New Mexico State, which outplayed ASU in two of the four quarters. Exactly. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think this is going to be uh, probably a competitive game. And ASU needs to take really clear uh, progress, demonstrate really clear progress in a, a number of, of areas. Yeah, again, once again on Sunday afternoon, uh, San Diego State is, or excuse me, Arizona State is favored to beat San Diego State by one and a half points going into their matchup this upcoming weekend. Um, Chris, ASU burned a couple red shirts this past weekend, uh, or excuse me, this past week against New Mexico State. Um, Several players lost their... um, Seven. Yeah, seven. Not several, seven. (laughs) Seven players ended up losing uh, their potential red shirts, including uh, defensive backs Alex Perry and Langston Frederick and Ty Thomas, as well as running backs Traylon Smith and Eno Benjamin. Defensive lineman Shannon Foreman lost his red shirt, as well as starting kicker Brandon Ruiz. So is this kind of a good sign? Um, I'm going to pop this question on you. Do you think it's a good sign that ASU is able to utilize these red shirts so early, or is it questionable that you're using some of them? I think other than the guys who are going to play a lot, Mm-hmm. that we can kind of expect, which would be, you know, Benjamin, of course, Brandon Ruiz and Shannon Foreman. Those three guys, to me, make a lot of sense to play. The other four do not make a lot of sense to play. In fact, I think it was uh, for for the, for each of them, I would say it's probably a mistake. Uh, and, and that doesn't mean necessarily that one of those defensive backs might end up being needed this year to play a lot. But why are you playing them only a minute or so in garbage time when you're up two touchdowns and, and, and uh, burning their scholarship? Why are you playing uh, Trelon Smith, who's by all intent and purposes like your fifth running back uh, on, on special teams, on kickoff cover? I don't, those things are not better for those players individually, in my opinion. And um, there's also an interesting sort of a construct that, that comes from – the decisions that were made by the coaching staff in this regard, uh, it, it seems as though they wouldn't play those freshmen, especially the defensive backs, unless subconsciously or consciously they realize that they may need them at some point in the season. But if that's the way that you feel about it, why are you not getting them in the game earlier exactly. to test where they're at 
when you're up 14 to nothing against San Diego State in the second quarter, um, or when you're up by three touchdowns around the beginning yeah, of the first the, quarter, fourth yeah. quarter, yeah. I should say. I mean, it just seems like if you're going to play them, play them when you're up three touchdowns with 15 minutes to go to get a sense of where they're at mm-hmm. and, and, and develop them. Um, and I think another thing that has to be mentioned here, Kalen, is because Maurice Chandler and uh, Chase Lucas were suspended for this game and not, mm-hmm. not able to play, that almost led to the decisions to play these the, the two freshman corners um, the way that ASU did in, in the game. Right. Or, or at least uh, Alex Perry, maybe, maybe, maybe Langston Frederick and, and Ty Thomas still would have played. But, but at least if you're Alex Perry, he's probably like their fifth corner. Yeah, realistically. Realistically, yeah. and yet he's playing with a minute left and burning his redshirt year. Uh, I think that's a bummer for him, you know. And 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 whatever those other guys did to get suspended and not be able to play in this game, that's sort of letting down your teammates. Uh, that because of that, you have to put a freshman out on the field. I, I don't think they should have, anyways. I think they should have rolled a walk on walk on out there. We saw in practices they played several walk-ons yeah, at cornerback Jacoby what's his name Taylor. Jacoby Taylor pardon me played with the second team in practices yeah, so you mean he can't go out there for a minute and preserve yeah, somebody's redshirt year yeah. I just I just don't think that that's the right thing to do for the program maybe the, maybe these coaches aren't thinking about it in those terms because they know they need to win this year but uh, I, th- I think also what's best for the players really really should factor in to some degree yeah no and I agree with that point um, if, but I will say this in terms of, I guess, from a coaching standpoint, if you're going to make a point, um, because of the way that ASU wasn't able to really separate themselves, like towards the back end of that fourth quarter, the way that New Mexico state kind of not necessarily walked down the field, but they were able to generate so many explosive plays. Like I believe it was a 51 yard touchdown pass for, uh, to Huntley. And then the other one was obviously at the end of regulation, which didn't matter, but it was another touchdown pass. So they gave up two touchdowns in the span of what three possessions. And that happened all in the span of six minutes. So I guess from that aspect, I guess the coaches were playing it safe. When I've heard about coaches before, if you get if they get burned by you know getting a little too or playing a little starters too early, and I think Graham actually mentioned during the press conference afterwards, he didn't want to risk you know playing starters too or getting somebody hurt by yeah, playing the starters yeah, in, in garbage time. Yeah, and and that makes sense. But at the same time, like I I, I do think that they should have gotten a little bit more run at least during at different times and different spots in the game that would have afforded them more reps. Yeah. I mean, just logically speaking, if it's, you're almost done before you even start, if you're only 11 deep on, on your defense, exactly. Like how is that going to work over the long run? And yeah, they, it, you know, I understand it was a, it was a 50 yard uh, play by Huntley, you know, with eight and a half minutes left or whatever it was to score a touchdown. Um, and that made the game 37-19, but that was with the starters on the field still. That wasn't the backups. So it's not like they it's not like the backups did anything that would lead you to believe that they were just totally incapable. Uh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Because they weren't even out there. Yeah. <laughs> so you, so 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 you don't know. Yeah, so it's like so why why play them even at all if you don't think that they're capable enough to handle until the final minute when the game's already over anyways. I just don't I, I don't understand the thought process behind it. I really don't. Well, let's jump from ASU and let's jump to the rest of the Pac-12 before we close this out. Um, Utah played North Dakota State this past weekend. Uh, they defeated them 37-16. to They're 1-0. Washington took on Rutgers. Uh, they won 30-14. to I believe you mentioned that Chris Byron Murphy, a former Saguaro product, 
Is yes. that correct? He had a pretty solid game. Two interceptions and looked really good in his first game playing. Last year, um, sources told us that he was kind of disappointed with having a red shirt, not being out there. But he looked like a guy who's, who uh, fits their scheme really well. They play him a lot uh, in, as a center fielder in zone coverages. Came up, made a couple uh, interceptions. Very, very uh, just natural it looked. And I think that we're going to be hearing a lot about him in the next couple years. And moving on, Colorado and Colorado State faced one another. Uh, Colorado came out on top 17-3. to uh, Colorado State had actually defeated Oregon State the previous week. Um, moving forward, Cal defeated uh, North Carolina 35-30 to and Justin Wilcox debut as the Golden Bears head coach. Oregon State managed to outlast Portland State barely 35-32. to uh, USC ranked number fourth in the country. Yeah. Odd game, but they managed to pull away late. Ended up being Western Michigan 49-31. to uh, Oregon defeated Southern Utah pretty handily. Uh, they ended up winning 77-21. to Washington State defeated Montana State 31 to nothing. Actually, Washington State, the previous seasons, Chris, in 2014, we saw how they lost the— 2015. Port- excuse me, 2015, they lost to Portland State uh, before winning 9 out of the next 12. And then in 2016, they lost the— uh, Eastern Washington 45 to 42, but then ended up winning eight out of the last 12. So we'll see whether or not they can keep that sort of strong run to finish out the year. And then finally, uh, the neighbors from down south, Arizona, they defeated NAU 62 to 24 to close out the Pac 12 slate from this past weekend. Few few thoughts here. Uh, a Oregon State is is an awful football team. Uh, there, there was some talk that maybe there'd be some improvement there. It really doesn't look like it because uh, in, the, in the zero week, they were boat raced by Colorado State 58-27. So Colorado State scores, 50, scores 58 points against Oregon State, and then the next week manages three points against Colorado. Like that is a really bad sign for where the Beavers are at. Uh, as you mentioned there, Justin Wilcox and Cal, that, that that's a nice a start for that Very program. Start, yeah. Absolutely. USC, a lot of people are saying that um, maybe USC is overrated, you know, because it's a tie game in the fourth quarter against Western Michigan. But but uh, people maybe already have forgotten Western Michigan was a really good football team last year. Last year under P.J. Fleck. They were in the, the, the BCS standings pretty high up mm-hmm. for, for, for quite a while and undefeated. Uh, you know, noticing what Oregon did. Uh, there's a chance for a very resurgent Oregon program this year. The offense has uh, really good quarterback play. Five starting junior offensive linemen who all started last year. Skill play all around. And if the defense is better, now that they have uh, as their coordinator the same guy who resurrected Colorado's defense last year, that team could actually be really tough to contend with. And then, as you mentioned, the Washington State shutout of Montana State, uh, avoiding losing to an FC opponent, FCS opponent for the third year in a row. That also tells you, ASU fans, sometimes you could lose your first game to a overmatched quote-unquote opponent and still come back and have a pretty good season because it's happened uh, in the last two seasons for the Cougars. Uh, and then ASU, uh, Arizona, pardon me, against Northern Arizona, 62-24. Not really too much that you can uh, you could take away from that game. Uh, ASU has its work cut out for it. it, it ASU needs to demonstrate that it's going to uh, be improved every week for the first three weeks of the season before it gets to uh, Pac-12 play, playing Oregon here in Tempe. ASU is probably going to be an underdog in that game unless it has an, a really impressive next couple weeks. And 
you don't want to lose that game for the Sun Devils because that's one of the quote-unquote games in which you have a, an easier chance to win on your Pac-12 schedule, and it's immediately before you go into this brutal stretch that may be as tough as anybody has in the country in uh, over about a four-week uh, period. Yeah, and it'll certainly certainly be interesting to see whether or not the Pac-12, you know, plays up to the level that you know contends with the SEC, with the Big Ten, with the Big Twelve, the other Power Five conferences, and as a kind of jostle for who's the number one team, or excuse me, number one group. Um, I, I thought that the Pac-12 got off to a good start overall. Um, I think the only real concern that I guess like for any team, I, I didn't think Colorado looked very impressive. And if there was any takeaway that I had from on that, offense, on offense, yeah, certainly not yeah, at all. on offense. Yeah, because Oregon State, up, yeah, their defense obviously shut down Colorado State for only three points. But they're yeah. offensively, it's not the same type of explosive power. Even though they do have a lot of skill weapons, I, I believe all four of their starting receivers were mentioned for. I, I believe was it all Pac-12? Yeah, yeah they have mentioned? they have the best re- like we receiving we, core. We yeah. graded as the best receivers in the Pac-12, yeah. and they're all really talented. But you got to have a trigger man, and you do. And, yeah, and I don't think Mont- Montez at least in. Week one, he looked like a little shaky. Yeah, so so we'll see. But but then again, a lot of people expected that defense to really drop off mm-hmm. because you lose Jim Levitt, you lose three or four of their Shadobia best. Woozy. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. Woozie was like amazing. Mm-hmm. And they lost three or four other really, really good starters and only give up three points against a Colorado State yeah. team that, that has been a juggernaut yeah. offensively at times in recent years. Uh, you know, almost uh, unexpected on two fronts. With, with with that team and and uh, Washington against Rutgers, they they made Jake Browning mm-hmm. look pretty average yeah. for large stretches of that game, uh, but but then they were able to sort of persevere through it. So I don't know if, if the preseason rankings will hold true as far as uh, the Pac-12 having three top fifteen type. Uh, opponents looking forward to watching UCLA as we tape this on on Sunday just like about a an hour before UCLA plays Texas <laughs> A&M uh, and then um, and then a lot more football in the ensuing weeks and we'll definitely uh, keep everybody abreast of what's going on and, and how we perceive it yeah and we definitely will uh, we'll have this podcast kind of encapsulize our, our initial thoughts we'll have on the premium podcast a full uh, deeper outlook of this week's matchup with San Diego State coming up. Again, ASU is actually dedicating that matchup to Frank Cush. Kickoff is set for 7 p.m. 7 p.m. 8 p.m. Excuse me, 8 p.m. Pacific time. Sorry, I'm, I forget Central Time. And oh my gosh, don't tell us you're doing that. <laughs> I'm from California. Truly man. not an Arizona. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> anyways, uh, from Chris Cartman, I'm Kalen Jones. Thank you for tuning in to the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. We'll see you next time.